0: This is the Empowered Athlete Podcast, episode 34. Claire Hanna isn't one to back down from a challenge. Her volleyball career at UBC was one that saw her on the sidelines and on the court and forced to reinvent herself as a player to make an impact. Such an impact that she made it to the national team and represented Canada for four years. But it was a strange twist of events at UBC that really lit a fire inside Claire and led her to where she is today. Back on the sidelines, but this time calling things for TSN as a reporter for them and their CFL coverage. Sit back, relax, and enjoy this great conversation with Claire Hanna. All right, everyone, the 1230 challenge that's 12 months of 30 day challenges for the entire year 2019 for Kari and I continues in April, and this one is a special one for us. It has to do with the environment and taking care of it and making the world a better place and the way to do that is to avoid the use of single-use plastics i personally think this might be the hardest challenge of the entire year as plastics are so invasive they're in every part of our lives and in starting this challenge we know it is going to be tough so we're determined to make it happen here's what we're going to do we are committing to trying to not buy or bring any single-use plastics into our home make every effort to use something different than single-use plastic and if we have used any single-use plastics in the month we're going to collect it and post in the group a picture of everything that we use just to get a feel of what's really going on. I've gone grocery shopping with Maeve recently our youngest and it was a massive challenge looking at things that we could buy that didn't involve plastic. So We're getting creative with bringing our own bags to the grocery store and special netted bags for all the produce looking at things that come in glass containers or jars and anything that's tin canned or in paper as well. So, this is a massive one. Easy things that you can do use a reusable water bottle, coffee cup, and if you do need a straw, make sure it's a metal one. So, that is the challenge for April eliminate the use of single use plastics. Join the group in the show notes and help us make the world a better place.
1: We believe in natural products for ourselves and our family. That's right, I'm an essential oil addict. Paul, on the other hand, is a closet oil user.
0: All joking aside, essential oils have allowed a higher level of health in our home. From bug repellent and cleaning to wound care, and with five kids in four different schools, flu prevention.
1: doTERRA essential oils are the only oils we use due to the highest quality and worldwide ethical sourcing. I have pretty high standards, as most of you know. My oils need to be consistent and work. For information on DIY recipes, go to mydoterra.com slash Kari Schneider. That's mydoterra.com slash Kari Schneider. And if you want me to come teach a wellness class for you, reach out to me at ks at empowerconditioning.com. That's ks at empowerconditioning.com. Welcome to the Empowered Athlete Podcast, created to support athletes in their pursuit of excellence and inspire others toward their best lives. Hosted by Kari Schneider, coach to top performers in sport and life, and Paul Duarden, former national and professional volleyball player.
0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to the empowered athlete podcast and we are welcoming Claire Hannah to the show. We are so thankful she could make it. She had a late night last night, <laughs> a double overtime affair with a delay for some ice repair, some playoff hockey. Uh, but Claire is a former volleyball player with the national team. She played at UBC and she is now a reporter, a sports reporter for CTV and TSN in Regina. Claire, welcome to the show. Woohoo!
2: Thanks for having me. Just just finally woke up with my alarm barely, but yeah, made it.
0: Yeah, it was yes. a late one last night. It's
2: almost like work <laughs> yeah, at shift work, hey? I know. I don't think I've ever gotten home at 3.45 in the morning before, but hey, it happens.
1: Unreal. What was it like like what was what was going on last night? How was it?
2: It was good. It was just the fact that I'm in Regina and it was playing played in a town two hours away. Um, some unexpected things happened during the game. And, of course, it went to overtime. My camera person was like, I'm going to cry if this goes to overtime. And then, like, two <laughs> minutes later, they scored, and it went to overtime. And then we were they, leaving at 1 a.m. So, yeah, they, that's how it happens.
1: They jinxed it by saying that, right? I, you, you I know, know that I told happens.
2: her. Like, I was like, that. you jinxed it? And she's like, oh, did I? And then it happened. And then I'm like, this is your fault.
1: So, anyways, it's all on her. So, uh, I mean, just that experience alone – that that's the epitome of being a pro you have to do what it takes in that situation and still be everything you need to be for your job even though you've been there for how many hours it's getting into the wee hours of the morning you know you've got to drive ahead of you you know there's all of the things that are there but you still need to be a pro what is it what do you draw from in order to do that in your your work environment
2: it's funny, Kari, I was actually thinking that when we were in the second overtime and I'm like, man, I'm getting tired. What's it? What am I going to feel like if it's in quadruple overtime? Because you never know how late the game's going to yeah. go. But then I'm thinking about the athletes. I'm thinking about the refs. I'm thinking about the coaches who are also all there and like way past their bedtime. And then I'm thinking about the kids in the stands whose parents are like forcing oh, them to stay man. there because they want to see the game. Yeah. And so I think everybody's feeling the same way but there's always so much adrenaline because this game could have the series could have ended had the Humboldt Broncos won that game Um, but then the Bruins won it so now it's going back to game six so I think everybody just gets caught up in the energy and you don't even think about the sleep but truly the drive home we thought about getting a hotel but then we just switched back and forth and that that was the part that was Potentially dangerous because we kept asking each other, like, "How are you feeling? Do you want to drive?" Okay, how am I feeling? I'm actually feeling <laughs> a little tired. Do you want to switch? So, but the game itself and covering it questions is never a challenge. I don't find that a challenge ever in those moments. Yeah,
1: yeah because it's the sport. It's the agenda especially with a team like Humboldt and so much, so much love and support around that team. And oh my gosh, yeah,
2: yeah. Like, but what's I'm... funny is the other team won. The Bruins yes, won, yeah. and everybody like so everybody there's cheering for the Bruins. And I actually asked a couple of fans, how do you feel about the fact that your team is playing the Humboldt Broncos who have had so much media attention and everybody's very familiar. Yeah. Everybody's familiar with their story and what they've been through. And they're like, you know what? It's just a game. And this is why they're playing this year. And this is why they played last year. And those boys just happen to have jerseys on and one says humble Broncos, but everybody wants to win. And it's so true. Even the players on the broods like, answer. this comes down to, it's just a game. Yeah. Yeah,
1: exactly. So. And, and they're, to do, they're there to do their job. Totally. Yeah.
0: Well, I want to um, add, so. add about the late night and having, well, I follow you on Instagram, see your story, and it can get a little goofy <laughs> at times, but, <laughs> yeah. but here's the thing. Goofy is good. That exactly, that was something I would do on the road or if we were having a, you know, there's an 8 a.m. practice on the day of a match. You don't want to be there. You don't want to go to the gym. They give you the crappy time and you got to get goofy. You have to do something stupid, make it fun. And you do that through your Instagram. I saw you rocking the massage chairs or something there in the <laughs> arena and doing other stuff. But I feel like that's something that maybe, or did you learn that as a player? And was that something that well... you brought to the team?
2: That's a really good point. I think I was always, maybe I was not like the team clown by any means, but I also <laughs> think that you need people on the team to keep things loose. And I've heard this actually from coaches at all levels now. Like, um, what does that guy bring to the team? Actually, or female. they They keep things loose in the locker room, which is important when the chips are down or people mm-hmm. are feeling really stressed and tight. And those people, I think, you know, are so important. And maybe it's not even on a team, but... I think last night, my camera person, who's amazing and so professional, like she was just feeling so tired. And I was like, here, Katie, I'm going to put $2 in this massage chair in this intermission. I'm going to take half of it and then you sit down. And like, she sat down and after she's like, oh my gosh, I actually feel so much better. And some of it's just like keeping things fun while they can be very tiring and stressful. So
1: Uh, that's, yeah, there there needs to be that, that uh, distraction and, fun and just that little injection of silliness and it makes that huge difference. Yeah. Yeah. That's why we're doing it. We're doing it
2: for fun. You know, we're not doing it because it's like extremely
1: stressful or whatever. It makes it clear that you're also loving a lot of the parts of the job as well. (sighs) Yes. Loving every moment, maybe except for the drive home. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So, so take us back. You, what, what people may not know is um, you know, you're, you're immersed in your career right now. But one of the reasons that you got into this career or it really was a pull or you were maybe compelled to this career is because of your background in sport. And you um, played at UBC for uh, a number of years. But lead us into that and what kind of led you to the national team and and, uh, what started your career in volleyball?
2: Honestly, I think I've got a pretty, I want to say quintessential, like, sports story in terms of I just was really active growing up. My parents enrolled me in everything from soccer to gymnastics to swimming lessons. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just continued along. And then in gym class in junior high, I tried out for every team and usually made every team probably because of that, you know, diversity. All the yeah. Paying- yeah, yeah, totally. Different so movement I, patterns. Know, for- yeah the volleyball team, the basketball team, the field hockey team, and, like, all, obviously, it was usually some of the same girls who were always on those teams as well. So we'd kind of just, like, become really tight, and then, you know, some teams would have a couple different people, but you sort of build that core, and then um, I remember getting into volleyball. Actually, um, I, growing up, I was a really high-level badminton player, and I'm not That's sure if many the people know best, that.
1: Though your your reaction time, like well, Glenn Hogue, would always love to have any of the players have something like racquetball or badminton or thing the the hand eye plus the racket, the skill that was involved. He, he loved that
0: and the lateral for, quickness. for what yeah. it brought
1: yeah. to the game. Yeah, there's just so many of those like little quick explosive movements and the hand-eye reaction, and it was fantastic. I didn't know that, and I love that
0: he did that. It
1: validates your badminton. There you go. Yeah. So you're,
0: you're a high-level player. Did you call it a birdie or a shuttlecock?
1: We called
2: it actually both, but we would never <laughs> say shuttlecock. We'd just say the shuttle, or we'd call it the birdie.
1: I I just wanted to
0: say that I just wanted to say. I know, I know you're (laughs) you're
1: being a brat. You're totally being a brat. You're being the goof right now. Right, exactly. Um, He just wanted to say the
2: c word. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Um, Anyway, but no, birdie shuttle. Anyways, but playing badminton was like really awesome, and I loved it. But I one thing I didn't like about it was the independence of it. I don't like being a solo athlete and. I would play mixed and doubles as well. So like with a female partner and with a male partner, but, and that was okay. But when I started playing volleyball in junior high, I was just like, oh my gosh, I love this. I love the big team part of it. Um, And so that was when I really just decided to kind of phase out badminton, which was difficult and then phase in
1: volleyball. Why, why do you think that you have... Uh, such an affinity for the team environment versus the individual sport.
2: I didn't like being on an island. I didn't, I loved the support of teammates and I loved giving the support, but I felt like in the down times, I could rely on my teammates and maybe you could be having a bad game, but your teammates could still lift you up or you could rely on teammates to get the job done. But I didn't like um, all of that being on my own in, in badminton. Was it, uh, Did you did you find you ended
1: up, like a lot of athletes, a lot of the individual sport athletes, so the track, the swimming, the you know, all of these sports where it's the ultimate accountability. But then if something doesn't go right, that that athlete ends up beating themselves up over all the little things that went wrong. And it becomes very hard to go forward when they're beating themselves up over all the little things that went wrong. So did, did you ever find that, that that accountability was kind of tough to manage as well? Instead of having fun in the me- in the meantime, you might be replaying the the thing that went wrong or
2: yeah that's you know it's a, that's a good point and um i think so like when i stopped playing badminton i was 16 i played it like so competitively between like 11 and 15 which is weird but i think i um i just also, I felt like my parents were my coaches in a weird way because we had, like, a badminton coach, but there were so many people at our club that they were always, like, watching all the players. And my parents would watch all my games, and they'd give me so many tips after, and I honestly hated that. I was just mm. like, I don't want I don't want my parents to be my coaches. Like, that's so many roles. And sometimes I'm like, hold on, I don't see you playing. Like, what do you know about this sport that I don't? Right. Like, just <laughs> being a little, like, yeah. shithead kid, right? Yeah. So yeah. I just – there was just things that I, I just – started not to like about badminton and I don't think at that age I was beating myself up too much about it because I was no, young because your parents was... were
1: busy doing it for you
2: <laughs> yeah but I was just like not having fu- as much fun to be honest yeah yeah yeah
0: and were you no. you're in Calgary at the time this is yeah I was in Calgary okay so you started when did you really become would you say you were a volleyball player and kind of I'd say probably you?
2: when I was 16 17 like when i like i was still playing badminton and volleyball probably when i was 14 15 16 but i couldn't balance those two things in yeah. my life because um actually the badminton club that i was a part of um my head coach his name was um, chanarong Rattana swing swing
1: i'm not even kidding
2: <laughs> and chanarong is like a legend in badminton when yeah. he was a kid he was top in the world in thailand like number Oh one. my gosh! and cool he like won the commonwealth games and he i think is the only certified level seven coach in canada like it's yeah. ridiculous how good he is yeah um and but he ob- and, and i liked him a lot but he wanted his players to attend practice and sometimes i would be like oh we'll have volleyball tonight oh and then sometimes yeah. in volleyball i'd be like oh i've we'll badminton and it turned out that it's i just, just too much neither conflict. coaches yeah yeah exactly and I I think I kind of just didn't want to quit in badminton because I'd played it. But I didn't realize that those skills were very transferable to volleyball and it wasn't like I was quitting it. I was just using those skills to then start evolving into
1: something different. And it's very hard when you're with someone who's a guru in what they do, because you also appreciate the value that you're getting from that expert coach. However, your heart is going, okay, I'm, I'm leaning towards something different. And and then you, you're at that age, when it comes to overall development of an athlete, you're at that age where you have to start to choose, whereas before that 16-year-old age, you do want to be diversified as an athlete. You want all kinds of different movement patterns and experiences. But right around that age, especially for team sport athletes, it is that kind of time where it's it's a key time for more specialization and getting the the real skill set
2: yeah and i'm so happy you brought that up because now as somebody who covers sports and i cover a wide gamut of ages and ranges too um i see how specialized kids are getting oh. early and it's actually so scary like especially in Saskatchewan for example with hockey and football i see kids like girls and boys, it's just like their parents are just putting them in these sports. And I'm like, I don't know how, if that's actually going to make them a better hockey player in the end, because no. I just remember playing so many sports when I was younger and you didn't need to specialize until you were a bit older, but, but I, I don't know how that's working into the psyche of things. No, now, so. it's,
1: I mean, the psyche is one thing, but the overall development and movement patterns in the athlete and their brain and their hand eye and all of those things, it shouldn't be a specialization of one thing so so early and they never get the experience of other things but yeah the the whole psychological aspect of it too it's a whole other um it's a whole other developmental process for an athlete to experience what it's like to be accountable in an individual sport or a team sport or the different dynamics of different types of team sports there's so much to be said for what they can draw from all of those experiences not only socially in their overall development as a you know growing up but also for what it adds to their sport experience and their sport um, development as well
0: Mm -hmm. yeah
1: so you you were in club volleyball then in calgary and then is that is that correct and then you yeah that's right you were did you did did ubc Um, become a draw because of the volleyball or because of school and then you were there for school and wanted to try out for how did that work for you how did you transition there
2: well I actually was born in Vancouver and we lived there till I was about 10 years old and so we moved to Calgary when I was in grade three and I loved Vancouver like we went back to visit like friends and family sometimes in Vancouver but um one I wanted a combination and you just kind of said it I wanted a good school and I wanted a good volleyball program and I wanted a place that was going to be beautiful and um Mirka who I'm sure you guys know that name the setter for the U of A pandas forever who's like another legend in volleyball um she actually was like helped coach my club in Calgary And when I was trying to decide what school to go to, I had applied to Western Ontario and like was being highly recruited Mm -hmm. there and University of Winnipeg and also UBC, as well as a couple other ones. But those three were the big Mm -hmm. ones. And I just done a visit to the University of Winnipeg with Diane Scott. And I really liked Diane. And I the program had just gotten second at Nationals. So there was like that. But I wasn't sure about the school so Mm -hmm. much. And then Mirka, I have told so many people this, Mirka was like, Claire do you want to break your leg the very first week of university and then be stuck in Winnipeg with a broken leg and you can't play volleyball? <laughs> oh
0: <my laughs> like, That's one way to look at oh it. Oh my
2: <laughs> god! Holy. And I was like, I've never thought about that. She's like, Claire, you don't want to be in Winnipeg. Like she basically <laughs> was just like, don't go there. And it's uh, ironic because I spent four years there with the national team and loved it. But I was like, okay, I think you're making a good point in going to UBC. But, but that's how Diane gets that's how Di-
1: Diane creates tough athletes. It's not only the program she runs them through and how she coaches them. It is also the cold environment. That's why the national team was based there is to yeah. toughen up these athletes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I've told Diane Scott that story about what Mirka
2: said. And she's like, oh yeah. my gosh, I'm going to have to punch her in the face. <laughs> like she just hated Mirka for saying that. But... I really thank Mirka because I had I had a really great time at UBC, but it was not easy at the beginning. And when I knew I wanted to go there, Doug Grimer didn't know who I was, hadn't heard of me, and I honestly wasn't that good coming out of high school. I'd never played on, like, a junior national team. I had made the provincial team and stuff, but when I talked to Doug, like, I sent him, like, a VHS tape because that's what we oh, did yeah. back then. There was no yeah. YouTube. There was not even yeah. DVDs. Like, I sent him a VHS tape. Of, of like some volleyball stuff that I'd gotten my dad to like set up a camcorder with and whatever. And he was like, okay, you're okay, but I can't really get a good feel. And my mom worked for the airline at the time. So they were like, well, how about we just like, we'll fly you out to Vancouver. And like, because Doug was like, are you ever going to be in Vancouver? And we're like, well, actually, I've got big roots in Vancouver. And he's like, if you're out here, then like, I can kind of like have a mini tryout for you in December when we're not really practicing because of exams. So I went out there for that and just like he had his setter, Amy, set some balls and stuff and I like did a bit of, you know, he just had me do some footwork and blocking and serving. And um, then I went out for lunch with like some of the girls after and I remember later in the year, Doug emailed me. He's like, uh, he's like, I mean, if you want to come here, you can, but I'm not really interested in you.
1: Oh, <laughs> it was such a backhanded email. Yeah. yeah. and. And but here's the
2: thing. I showed it to one of my friends because she's like, oh, are you going to go to UBC? And I was like, well, look at this email. And she's like, oh, that sucks. I'm like, no, no he, he says, says he's, yes. He's letting yeah. me come there. Yeah. <laughs> and that was what I pulled out of the email. Like I was I was like, no, no, no. He says I can go and be on the, the glasses have But like fall. Yeah. the, yeah. the glasses, Totally. Half That's fall. how I saw it. That's fantastic. And then I remember. Yeah. Basically calling him in like July and being like, so I'm coming. And he was like, okay. He's like, I don't have a spot for you on a team, but you can be a red shirt. And I thought that was good enough. Yeah. yeah.
1: So, well, it's interesting because when it's it's the whole psychology of wanting something bad enough that you're going to see what you want to see in that scenario because you want it so bad. Yeah. And, and so clearly UBC was the choice for you because you're getting kind of a, a sigh an offhanded, no, you know, and you, still are, are seeing the yes like oh it, yeah like one totally. in a million I, so you're saying there's back. a chance <laughs>
0: yep you got <laughs> yes. it lloyd
1: And i look back and i'm like i loved my attitude
2: back then because i don't know how i would take it now right but i was like high school yeah woo, i'm doing it
0: such
1: a good thing to draw from though paul you're gonna say something there
0: well i just wanted to ask so he said you redshirted the first year but the second Um, my first but did you get cut the second yeah year? go ahead
2: Yes, I actually did. So that was, like, oh, just awful. And, like, honestly, first year, there was – we had some other, like, quasi-red shirts, but they were kind of given a spot on the team. And so Doug had this really interesting thing where he had to, like, slot them into the game sometimes. He had to to dress them or, like, get them in. And there was that classic scenario where they got in for, like, three points and lost a year of eligibility, right? Yeah, yeah. He he had this – he had a balance with him because he had so many people there. So, but I did I didn't get into one game. And I remember sometimes I was like, Well, sometimes these ones are dressing. And he's like, you don't have the same deal as them. And I'm like, oh, Okay, crap. So, anyways, but second year, I like remember I worked my ass off that summer, like in the gym, because I was like, I don't want to give him an excuse to cut me. Like, I don't, I'm not gonna leave anything on the table. And I just just worked out so hard, um, worked on my vertical because that was always an issue. And also, I should say, when I went to UBC, I went as kind of like not a middle, but he switched me to power because I was short. Mm-hmm. So, like, power kind of
1: writes When you say short, what's your. So, height? I was. I'm six yeah. feet. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I just want, I want yeah. listeners so, but, to understand, like, Paul and I know what short is in volleyball, but for a female athlete, <laughs> yeah, we, yeah. we want the listeners to understand that you being a short player at six feet, what that really means, you know? So. Yeah.
0: Like, yeah, compared yeah, to you, hundred percent. Yeah, I've seen the picture of you with Mark Messier, and you're taller than Mark. So it, yeah, there's a there's a pro <laughs> yeah. hockey player. who thinks, oh, they're huge.
1: Yeah, like, yeah. Claire's taller. Yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> he was a little thicker, but yeah, for sure taller. Yeah. Um. But I yeah. I guess in my second year when I like was kind of short and had tried to work on my vertical, um, I like really wasn't getting into drills in my second year it was just like we he'd had some other new recruits including like Liz Cordonier so obviously we all know yeah, her yeah. talent yeah. and it was just like really challenging and I remember one day after practice I was like okay hey, I need to set some goals because I need to figure out what I need to achieve in this year right and I went to talk to him about goals and then he cut me
1: like, uh, it was just, like,
2: out of the you, you, your Your intention so... and
1: your vision for that meeting was to see from him what you could do better and really work together to get you to the next level. And his, he used that opportunity to cut you because you had a meeting with him.
2: Yeah. Oh. And it was, like, yeah. so, so, like, devastating. It was just, like, one of the biggest blows in my life because I was just like I had worked so hard I felt in the gym that yeah. summer and like come in really dialed in and just to have everything taken away and I was like oh my gosh you're cutting me like what why are you doing this and it was October so I couldn't even apply to a new school if I wanted to transfer like you know and I I kept thinking like University of Winnipeg University of I'll Western take it, Ontario I'll take it. my leg's yeah. not broken yeah, like, <laughs> yeah I don't yeah. care about and the cold like, oh my gosh like yeah I'll do it but um that was really awkward and he's like well if you he's like I know you're really tight with the team and I I know that one of the um girls in the team Danielle Van Heusen kind of I think she stood up for me in a way and she's like you know what like Claire brings a lot of energy to the team like uh, positivity like like she works really hard do you are you sure you want to cut her I I think this is what Dee told me at least Danielle Van Heusen and I think Doug was like okay like Claire you can and then we made this weird scenario because I would kind of keep showing up to practice but like like, which was so awkward too, right? he like cut me, <laughs> but he was like, it's okay. You can still like kind of come, but like, I need you to be more of a manager. And so I would show up and like, kind of just sit there and people like, why aren't you practicing? And I was like, so embarrassed to say I got oh cut. My like I, I didn't even say it. Oh. Isn't this weird? Yeah. Like I, I'm cringing thinking about this, you guys.
1: Oh, you um, get the, the, but the then... clammy sweats in the hands and the, oh yeah. Yeah. yeah it just feels yeah. bad. It feels bad. Yeah. I know. And so he, I remember Doug
2: was like, "Kate, hey, join the junior varsity team. Like I'm going to put a call in and you can like come and practice with us two days a week. And then, um, the other two days I would write like newsletters and stuff for the team, but it was really, anyways, that was like all of my what second you, year. What were you, what were you taking in
1: school at that point when you're writing the newsletters and you're, and you're, uh, you know, getting cut?
2: <laughs> oh I don't even remember. I remember, like, I I ended up majoring in political science and international relations, but at that time, like, it was dark, and um, I would say, like, I, like, I was depressed. Yeah, you yeah, know, for Like sure. I, and also, like, a week before he had cut me, like, I had been dating this guy and he broke up with me, and so it was like a lot of things coming in in your second year. You're 19. You're away from home. Like, yeah. it was just not good times. Everything and you envisioned remember-
1: had had just crumbled in front of you.
2: yeah Yeah. and i just was in a dark place and i remember like um my dad flew out for a day because my parents were just a little worried about me and he flew out and he just like came to the library with me and like we went out for coffee and like we didn't really talk he was just like there Mm -hmm. for me and that was just so important to feel my family and my family has always been there for me but that was like a good day and we just kind of talked about feelings and like how you know like Everything. And I remember I made a big commitment to try to um, get my marks back up because in your first year of university, I don't, I didn't think I really cared about school because I was like, oh, I'm playing volleyball, UBC, da, 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 da. Like I've got my own dorm room, like boys, all this stuff. Right. And so um i just was like hey what's the actual reason you're at ubc you came here and I, I remembered back to the recruiting and i'm like you came here because it was beautiful it has a great program and there's the volleyball but like the other two things you aren't even noticing right now because volleyball is so bad yeah so i really started to like focus on school like it was that was the big thing i'm like let's just get your school back up let's get the marks back up focus on that don't even think about volleyball.
1: you know how many young university level athletes don't have either some of some parental support unit that a understands what they're feeling and what they're going through. But B, you know, if, if their vision was totally sport and an injury or getting cut or anything sidelines them from that, they feel like you probably felt like their whole world has been lost and, oh, yeah. and the rug pulled right out from underneath them. And then it's just this void, this blank space and it's you know what are your choices? Do you turn to partying because there's that option always at university do you do you, oh, yeah. you may not know what you want to do, so how appealing does school look when you're not sure what you want in life so it's just that's one of the reasons I think, not just with student athletes but students in general in university, that they end up becoming so lost, and um, the rates of depression are so high and you know it's just it becomes a real issue for for that age group in in university
2: you nailed it like i think a lot of us deal with that at different times even if if sports can be going well we get caught up in the partying like i remember binge drinking mm-hmm. a lot and i remember like i don't want to say like i wasn't i honestly wasn't sleeping around a lot does that make sense but i was definitely like just having fun with guys but definitely it was not focused on like like Mm -hmm. the core roots of what you want to be doing
1: at university. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it's this first freedom that, that young adults are exposed to. And it's like, well, let's do what every other university student does. And I'm not sure what direction I'm going. What were you going to say there, Paul? What
0: what was the composition of the coaching staff outside of Doug? Was there female leadership in the staff or was it male dominated? Because that can obviously be a huge in terms of just communication and leadership from the coaching oh, staff yeah. was that there or not at all a little bit
2: um you know what we had a female sports psychologist and um then but we didn't in terms of coaching at the time it was also jesse knight who ended up being coming the head coach at the dinos a little bit later but it was mostly like joanne ross ended up being an assistant coach but she would just poke her head in at that yeah. time so um and joanne ross is obviously an amazing female who great leader amazing volleyball player all-around person um but at the time I don't actually even it's funny I didn't even think about that as a factor but I I definitely didn't feel like I could talk to anybody Mm -hmm. on the team because like I also felt like they didn't like at the time Doug didn't want to have my back because he didn't want to make me to feel like too much part of the team because he knew that was painful Mm -hmm. because I wasn't part of the team like that was a really tough balance for Doug and i I feel bad for him in that position because he was just trying to like make his
1: team great, cut somebody who wasn't accepting being cut. Mm-hmm. But it's it's one of those those issues I think in sport that you know I've I've thought about so much over the years because I've been in that I've been that um, peripheral support as a strength coach to help these athletes get to where they want to go, but maybe their skill set just wasn't there. No matter how strong or this or that they got, how powerful or fast or whatever then maybe they still don't make the cut. And so like for years, for 25 years, I've seen the fallout from these athletes getting cut, but I've always wondered, you know, if, if each system, so each university or club system, or even pro system had some sort of um, protocol post cutting, you know what I mean? Like say, say mm-hmm. there was a protocol yeah. in place and maybe it's slightly different at each different level, but a protocol in place that looks like, um, maybe an older, a vet athlete, uh, mentor has a certain number of, you know, tea dates or coffee dates or whatever, you know, um, sounds like a play date, but, but it has, <laughs> has some sort of connection with that athlete. So they're not, completely cut off and isolated from a community that they were desperate to be a part of and all of a sudden that's been cut off and it's quite literally the feeling for an individual like that is very primal. Like you feel like you've lost your tribe. You are being, you know, kicked out of the tribe to die in the wild. That's basically how yeah. we finally feel.
0: You're and voted so, off the island.
1: You basically and how ha- <laughs> so devastating and so, you know, I I, on, I, don't know how it would be set up, but this is part of how this podcast was birthed was because there's a need for support for athletes in all sorts of scenarios, whether it's injury, whether it's when they're in the, the thick of going from team to team, they, they don't feel like they have connection or community with other athletes on their team because they're competing against them and they could be cut at any time and lose their contract or whatever it is, but they just feel unsupported and whether it's retirement, something that they've chosen or whether it's get them getting cut, but just some sort of connection or protocol that if someone gets cut, then this is what, this, this is what the next steps are versus yeah, sure. everything, like a support system. right? This is what the next steps are. You have, you know, these people and these meetings and these resources, Uh, you know, like a multifaceted type of thing, but it's not just cold turkey, like you're done. And then you literally feel like you're, you're dead to them. You know, you've, you've been, you've been thrown off the boat kind of thing.
2: Yeah. And one thing you said in that, that was the reason I didn't want to leave the team because that was like my best group of friends since I'd gotten to UBC, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that was what drove me to like, and it's like, are we supposed to,
1: Yeah. Like, are we supposed to not be friends anymore? Because these are your friends. And yet you've lost some of what you what what drew you together. Totally. Yeah. So you got cut. But how that was not the end of your UBC story. What happened?
2: Well, I guess I just okay, so I joined the JV team and played on that and with like mixed success, whatever, like I was starting on it. But you know, I, I told you, and this was the truth, I really, um, like, got re-inspired by my education because I was like, hold on, like, eventually one day volleyball is going to be done and you want to make sure you've got a good degree after and you've got, you've set yourself up for a future career. Because at that point, it wasn't like Team Canada was even on the radar, right? It's not mm-hmm, like I thought yeah. I'd have a career in volleyball. So um, I just, I worked hard. But then the next year when I came back, and here's something weird that happened. I actually sprained my ankle that year when I was playing on the JV team and um which like prevented me from jumping where I was playing power and so I started doing a lot of passing reps and eventually when there was this random team at the end of each season back in the day that was like a junior team but it was like just basically anybody under third year on the UBC varsity team but like I got included in that team and we went to nationals it was like an under 20 nationals and um I wanted to be on that team, but I didn't have, like, the ability to play power because I, like, injured my ankle and I probably wasn't going to make the team. But my coach was like, do you want to play libero? And I was like, "Uh, yeah, for sure, I'll play libero. And so all of a sudden I saw this opening where, hey, maybe this is where I can make a name for myself at UBC or, like, not even make a name for myself. Just get on the team, Mm -hmm. you know. Maybe I can be a libero. So I just kind of worked that angle. And then when I came back in my third year, um, I was like, I'm trying out again. And, but I was like, hey, Doug, I want to try out as a libero. And he's like, okay, sounds good. And so I tried out that way and honestly kind of made the team, but again, kind of just did it in a red shirt way again. But at least I was yeah. back on the team. Like I was getting full practices. This wasn't awkward anymore. I wasn't doing a newsletter. Like I was back on the team getting full reps. And then we had a couple injuries on the team. But, like, I'm talking middles, powers. And so here, all of a sudden, I'm a dynamic player who can kind of do a little bit of middle, a little bit of right side, and pass. And so all of a sudden, I was kind of this dynamic option for Doug, and he started traveling me a bit. And then I started just getting in a little bit. And when I got into the games, like, it was magical. Like, I do good things. It was crazy. I didn't... I I surprised myself, you know? And I think it was, like, totally this underdog story, because you know, he'd like so blatantly cut me. And then all of a sudden I'm getting in and I'm like getting kills in like big moments of the game for momentum swings and stuff like that. So that was amazing. And then when I came back, like that year, we actually, we made playoffs, but it was like the first year in like seven that we didn't actually go to nationals. And then the next year when I came back for my fourth year, I was just full on a libero and
1: then it was on and then that was it. So
2: that's kind of the short
1: end of it. That's awesome. So. tough, What um, there was a there's a comment you had mentioned to us previously about about the um, the school newspaper and posting the win of the men's basketball team. And at the same time. So when was this, and and oh. uh, tell tell us about that story and how it okay. influenced you. It, and this is
2: truly the reason I'm in media to this day, and I think about this all the time. And I thought about it huge at this moment. But in our fourth year at UBC, this was my first year starting as libero. Um, we we made it to nationals, and we actually end up win nas- winning nationals. And I mean, we could make that a big story, but we were such an underdog team at the time, and it was our first national championship. At UBC since 1979. So um, (laughs) any anybody who knows UBC obviously knows now it's become a powerhouse, but at the time was still a powerhouse. It was just always the bridesmaid, never the bride. We had had so many silver, bronze, so many national championship appearances, but we just couldn't get it done. But in 2008, we win for the first time since 1979. It was unbelievable, and I remember we were in Fredericton and. We get back to UBC, like, the Tuesday after winning on Sunday because it took so long to get home. And um, I was, like, so excited to see the newspaper, the student newspaper called the UBC. And it was, like, widely circulated. You could get it in any classroom on campus. And I pick it up, and the front (laughs) page is the men's basketball team for winning, like, an insignificant game. Like, it's just, it was just, like, a freaking game. But
0: you you guys are on page two. And I was two. like,
2: we're no, no we're page six. five. Like we weren't even, <laughs> and here's the thing, they're on the cover and they're like, the men's basketball team's just like the huge cover page. And I'm like, hold on a second. This went to print, like, and I know they could have had us in here. So I'm like flipping through it. And I find us in like the bottom corner of page five, like not even a full page picture. Like it's like taking up one eighth of this page. And I was like, oh my gosh, what? the heck so that was just like oh i brought the newspaper back to my team and we all just like bitched about it and we just we were just couldn't believe it and then
0: and for you that's that's the that, tsn turning point <clears throat> <Right>. for sure. <laughs> it like, is
2: it totally that, is. Is. <laughs> that was your tsn
0: turning point your last.
2: Oh, yeah <laughs> and like i actually i don't know if i have a copy of it anywhere but i'm like I almost want to get a copy of it because it's just like, to me now, it's a point of pride. Like that was a reason. So I, I thought at that moment, I'm like, what the heck? First of all, it's like mostly male editors at the student newspaper. And also at the time, like men's basketball got so much attention and they were good, but they weren't winning nationals like ever.
1: Yeah. And yeah. I'm like, yeah, they- which is, which is a huge accolade for the school. It's not yeah. just about just the women's team. <sighs> it it draws mm-hmm. attention and, all kinds of things for the school it recruits more athletes it makes the school look good it you know combines the academics and athletics there's all sorts of good things that come from you know plowing yeah and there's there's plenty of research that shows that that the success of females has a greater ripple effect in a community for all kinds of people more so than the success of males that's amazing yeah 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 it's very amazing and but but here's the thing, and this is what I want to touch on, and not as a criticism, but just as a, a general um, observation with women. That newspaper goes back with you guys into the locker room, and you guys sit there and you bitch about it. What else happened beyond that?
2: Well, okay, there was one point when I had actually written um, an, a, like a letter to the newspaper, and I was like, this is, like, um, And it wasn't about that article, actually. It was, I think I, I turned it into about that article, but it was also about just like marketing um, in general, at the university, you'd always see people like out there like come to the men's basketball game this Friday, like people from internal UBC relations, like marketing the basketball games. And I'm like we never get any marketing like people aren't trying to promote our team yet. We're like national champions, like all this stuff. Like I wrote a letter to the UBC and they printed the letter in the newspaper, which oh. I thought was pretty cool because it's like here's a member of the women's volleyball team. Um, sharing her opinion, and they and they shared it, and it was criticizing their newspaper too. So I give them kudos for putting that in there, right? But mm-hmm. that started. Um, then they were like, "Okay, like, why don't you write for us?" And so I actually started writing for the UBC in terms of um, this athlete of the week uh, um, in the um, Thunderbird Athletic Council, which I sat on. We would always nominate two athletes of the week. Usually it was a male and a female. I think we always did both. But then we started writing up. I'd write little articles about their achievements that then got published in the UBC. So even though that's, that's equal gender representation, which is I'm not even asking for equality. I just want to like have some kind of attention put on women. You know what I mean? And so yeah, that, yeah. that was a big, I think, turning point in terms of like, holy crap, I want to make sure that one day like I want to be a sports reporter and put women in the spotlight more because we never get the attention we need. And that is something I notice in like national media. We're treated differently. We just, we just don't get as many eyes on us. And I think that there's so much value and benefit that comes to that that can trickle down to even
1: women getting more money as professional athletes. Uh, Absolutely. And, and, and at the same time, it's this like, uh, kudos to you for writing the letter and taking more steps. And it it opened up an opportunity for you, right? Mm-hmm. And at the same time, there's so often what happens and, and young, young females often don't have enough female role models to stop this from happening. But so often what happens is the, yeah, they go back together and they talk amongst themselves. And, you know, maybe it's Maybe it's the fact that there's not enough female washrooms in the airport or in the sports stadium or in the whatever, and then all the women are are together in a community talking about it, bitching about it (air quotes). Yep. But then, what's being done about it? And where are the represent- Where's the representation to to then take that a step further so that it's not such a, a discrepancy between what's available to men or what's available to women and so i think you know the key thing here for women is not to be busy pointing out what the problems are but to be busy doing something about it or elevating the conversation instead of having it be a little bitch session yeah and Elevating the conversation and having the strength to do so is going to be the key for something actually being done versus women hanging out together and going, oh, this is, doesn't work this way or this sucks for us that way or whatever. No, it has to be a voice that says, okay, what needs to be done here is this. How do we collaborate, work together, work with other men, work with other women in order to make this happen? Um, and, and that's the only way the changes will be made versus only seeing the crap side of the stick. For sure. Um, so this, I, I just got on my soapbox there and got a little <laughs> preachy. No, that was good. <laughs> woo, woo! Do something. Um, but, but at the same time, you, you know, this propelled you forward. You just, you, you kind of fell into a media career in a way via the action that you felt passionate about. Your passion started to lead you down a path for your career. Um, So there's that little inkling there, but your fourth year university, what happened to open your eyes to the national team? Yeah,
2: it was when we actually won that national championship. um, One of the coaches of the national team was watching. And so that's when I kind of got the letter. Well, not kind of, I got the letter in terms of inviting me to try out and like long story short, I actually didn't end up going that year because I'd already made plans to travel China with my sister that summer. And but I ended up getting the invite the next year with our new head coach, which was Lupo, Arndt Ludwig, mm-hmm. and then um, tried out that year and ended up making it. And kind of just to kind of grow the conversation, because I know we could probably talk about so many things. But it was when I was playing Team Canada that I really felt we were getting such a lack of representation mm-hmm. in the media. And because mm-hmm. um, we were living in Winnipeg, um, that's the men's team had relocated to um, Ottawa and this is when there was no winnipeg jets there was just the bombers there was the winnipeg or the manitoba moose and so in terms of high profile sports in the city you know i felt like we were we should be top three teams we were we're so up there and and we would get one reporter out kind of like right around tryouts and then maybe we'd get another reporter out for another event but i I would feel like what we've not, nobody here is covering us. This is ridiculous. And that was really when it started to dawn on me, the the lack of women representation in the media.
0: And I, I had the feeling there that the women's team was just taken for granted. They've been, they've been here. Oh, totally. They're always here. Uh, I can see them next week. No, there's no, there was never, like you said, any attention or urgency star, star or urgency quality. in promoting the team from within or from, external sources through media channels
2: yeah and paul i would agree with that and you have a good perspective because like you having played on the men's team you'd probably see how much media you guys might have gotten and i'm not sure if there was a difference but i never i wasn't used to anything else so
1: that seemed normal to me but it also didn't seem right yeah that makes sense oh yeah there there was a big there was a big difference because you know for like I was working with both teams in Winnipeg for two quads and the women's team was un- I mean, I, and I was in the behind the scenes stuff. So the, the, the meetings, the funding, the, you know, all of the stuff that goes on. Yeah. One of the reasons, one of the reasons, and this is one of the, the crappy things, really, one of the reasons that the women's team got as much, um, got as many services that they had whether it came down to sports psych or things like that is is because it was all kind of in in one place and the men's had the men's team had way more funding the women's team didn't have as much funding it's like the women's team got the leftovers Mm -hmm. totally but but almost the women's team also got probably a little more than they would have had if the men's team hadn't been there oh wow do you, and, do you know what I mean? Yeah, uh, because of because there was there was already the the volunteers there for the men's team or the volunteers there for other things or the staff or the sports sports science or this or or me. I would be a prime example. The and, strength and conditioning was already there in place for both teams. But and one of the things here here's one of this this fundamental problem goes deeper than that. It goes down to the it goes down to the grassroots level, the club level, the, you know, what's missing when those players step into a national level is they don't have the level of skill or physical resilience that they should stepping into a national level team. And so on a world stage, you probably realize what a shock it was stepping into a world stage from the training you had that from on a world stage, you just weren't prepared from all of the experiences that you had already had like this this goes much deeper so we're dealing with athletes that aren't as ready and then need way more support from the performance enhancement teams or or the extra services but aren't getting it because canada doesn't fund it like it's just not people don't realize that oh you're a national level athlete you must be getting paid yeah. yeah, you're getting paid a carding m- bit of money that's lower than the poverty line. Like you cannot live on it. We <laughs> yeah. have to jam all the athletes together, have them eat bare minimum food. They can't, they don't have the major supplements that they need. And then, then we're expecting them to perform at the highest level. And they don't even know half the things that they need to know before they even got to that level. So it's it's more than just, it's more than just, um, it's more than just a discrimination between genders it comes down to so far below that that these athletes are simply not prepared for where they need to be and then performing on a world stage.
2: Yeah and I also just want to make it clear too at the time like I know the men have been to the most recent Olympics in Rio but at the time I would say there was like really not much of a level of difference in the success from the men's and the women's volleyball programs. Is that probably accurate?
1: well yeah or anybody well just before paul speaks there like on a world stage the women's team would be ranked um a little lower than the men usually in the time that i was there so a little lower than the men but the women's team had been to the olympics uh in a more recent time than the men's team had gotcha but but at the same time the women's team didn't have exposure to things like world league or um, they just didn't have as many major, major events that could put them or give them the experience to elevate them to the next level, to be able to qualify for the Olympics. So, I mean, there was a number of factors there, but then when they were on a world stage, the women's team, like there was, there was a number of years that I was there that we, we acknowledged, we knew that, that the women's team weren't good enough or weren't skilled enough to compete against what the competition was out there. So, it came down to being the best we could be,, yeah. but then that creates a scenario where where volleyball Canada or Sport Canada in general won't fund the teams that aren't, that aren't sniffing at you know medals or qualifying for Olympics or things like that. They just won't fund them as much so it's, yeah that's, it's a backwards that's system. the point I
0: was going to make is that it's, it's not a volleyball Canada thing, it's a sport Canada thing where their analysis of each sport and their ability for each sport to possibly contend for a medal drives so much of the funding and i mean it's a whole separate podcast to discuss that and uh dig into that but i want to steer you guys both in another direction just in the interest of time here uh both being women clearly both being in male dominated (laughs) dominated industries and just kind of in the last bit of time that we have together. Claire, I really want to get some stories. Uh, I want our listeners to really understand what you've had to do to rise to the level you have in the broadcasting world as a female, first of all. And Kari, really, if you can echo any sentiments or themes that are coming out of what Claire is saying, having done a similar thing in the strength and conditioning world, which is a male dominated industry, Uh, if That's all right.
1: Well, I can tell stories another time, but let's hear Claire's
0: stories.
2: (laughs) 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 Well, I feel like in anything you do, you just have to be skilled. Like, you know what I mean? If you want to be successful in whatever is a very competitive industry. And I'd consider sports broadcasting to be super competitive because it's so awesome. Everybody, like, a lot of people want to do it. You just get to watch sports for a living and talk to athletes and then go on TV and and talk about the stories. But I think, honestly, it's just about been at like being professional because i think oh no i don't want to i'm not going to bash any women because i don't i don't see a lot of women in this industry who are not professional but like you have to take it seriously you know what i mean and sometimes players might flirt with me but i don't engage back you know there's there's that matter Mm -hmm. but there's like doing Mm -hmm. my research doing like a ton of research about who i'm covering um the history of of athletes to make sure that um I come across as professional as well. And I'm not saying men don't do that as well, but um, I honestly think it's given me, there's been a bit of an advantage to me being a female in sports broadcasting. And I want to, also indicate the difference between being an anchor and a reporter because when you Um, turn on tsn you're going to see yeah there's a lot of female anchors and and also there's a lot of male anchors but you do not see a lot of female reporters and anchors are the ones you see on tv on the desk reading the highlights um reporters are the ones who are telling the stories from the field um and like at the hockey arena and that's where you see so few in canada women and I've always wondered and I've talked to some mentors about that. And I think it's because um, sometimes women get kind of suggested into that anchor role because I think um, executives assume that most people watching sports are men. And so if there's mostly men watching sports, they want to have a female anchor. And I don't know why, you know, that's assuming so many things like heterosexuality, Mm -hmm. you know, that's assuming an audience and stuff like that. But, um, I think I don't know why there aren't a lot of female reporters like I love being in the action. I love talking to the athletes. I would never want to be in a dark studio for an extended period of time. I'm not saying I don't like anchoring. I think it's really fun hosting shows, but getting out in the action is important. But um, I, you know, it's really been funny when I've like noticed sexism and. Um, here in Regina, oh, gosh, it's amazing. Like, I, I have an amazing group of peers here. Um, and I'm not the only female. I work with another. Um, there's a lady who works in radio, who's phenomenal. She's just so great. We're about the same age. It's just great to be at, at rider practices and games with her just like bouncing off ideas and stuff. Um, but the men in this industry here in Regina are also incredibly helpful, and I've never felt condescended by them, but that I don't think that's the case everywhere I've worked, and I just feel very lucky for where I am here. But certain things that I think are funny is like, I remember I had a male intern working with me at a previous job, and he was obviously a sports guy and just kind of like, I wanna say loudmouth, loud mouth, not very good at listening, and I think that's something that's really important in our industry is listening, because that's the only way to get a story, you can't do all the talking. Um, but we went to an event together and um i'd like called ahead of time to say that we were that our station was coming to cover this event and when we showed up everybody just talked to him like everybody assumed, was like oh, hey. yes. oh. yeah i assumed he was the reporter and i'm like actually it's me <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. and <laughs> and
2: like you know he even kind of like he didn't say anything either. He kind of went along with it. I'm like, okay, you're the intern, buddy. You're not getting paid. I'm the one doing the story. I'm the one that's going to be telling this on television tonight. Like, like it was just, that was kind of funny. And um, I've noticed a lot of language use as well around sports. And um, there was somebody in another market once who, it was a play-by-play person, and he was calling a game. And he said, oh, that was such a manly play by so-and-so and And i was like what did he just call that a manly play so i called him out on twitter and i actually said hey so-and-so um if that's a manly play like what's a womanly play and (laughs) yeah you know and it's funny because i actually got in so much trouble from my current boss at the time for that tweet and it was a male coworker of mine who snitched me out who was like hey did you see this tweet by claire sent it to our boss and our boss is like hey claire you can't call out Um, people in our industry who we work with for this kind of stuff and I'm like what are you talking about that person just offended an entire gender just because I made them feel awkward and I shamed them publicly and they feel you know in this one moment uncomfortable I'm sorry but they made an entire like like all females feel uncomfortable with that comment and that was super interesting that whole dynamic about like you know and I'm like I I think I'm a kind of a fan of public shaming when it's not appropriate or things like that because if you feel uncomfortable about something then you've obviously done something wrong you know and and i well, it, i want it causes change faster yeah and i want to have that emotion yeah. But like i want somebody to feel an emotion like that to realize what they did was not right mhm yeah anyways those are yeah. those are just some examples i i can think of off the top of my head but
1: yeah they yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's it's sad to say but i would bet that there are more that you've experienced and and that and that it's not going to be done with yet you no. know like it's it's just the nature of the beast in the sense of the industry that you're in but at the same time there are so many you know male athletes male coaches um female athletes, female coaches who have been raised in a way that really is respectful towards both genders. And they are, they are applauding anything that either, either gender does, and then it's, it's supported. And I, you know, I think that it's important to get something like that called out so that people understand that it's not appropriate anymore. It's not appropriate to say that, one play is is this or, like you could describe it as being lame or this or that but but not in the terms of a of a gender or a, for sure or a sexuality or a you know because then you're describing that gender or that sexuality or that this or that that as as better or weaker than the other one exactly in a derogatory way totally so yeah 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 um now what uh just just to kind of get a, a little wrap up here, but what what prompted your your shift from the national team and into your career? Um, how did you transition?
2: Well, I think it was kind of honestly based on what we talked about with the UBC article, and just thinking, okay, after I played volleyball, I wanted to sort of stay involved in athletics to some extent i i, I and I felt like getting into broadcasting was the best way and i did some video blogging when i played on the national team just kind of taking people inside what it might be like a day in the life of athletes or kind of doing some stuff about training just little little video blogs nothing professional but um i just felt that there was a lot of similarities in sports broadcasting and athletics it's so competitive um it's it's hard work it's about making connections. I know that's maybe not so athletic-y, but um, it's about performing. So there's a lot of prep that goes into it, and then you perform on air. And um, I just felt like when I got a little taste of it, I really liked it. And it's definitely hard work. And I think people just see people on television and think, oh, that looks really fun. They're at this football game and just talking about things. But there is so much prep that goes into just a minute of television. And it's, it's ridiculous. We say for about a minute of television that can be like, you know, a couple hours of work behind the scenes
0: yeah, that just to mm-hmm. get the research and stuff. So yeah, that's something that most people understand. And when I had the chance to start to do a little bit of commentary work, I was so lucky to have my first, uh, job alongside Mark Lee from CBC and to see how he prepared. The, you know, pages of notes and just the work that he put into pronunciation of names, just to say just to say names correctly. You know, you've got players from every country in the world, you know, and to get that right is a job within itself. And that's exactly how you describe it. There's so much work going on behind the scenes, but it does, you know, parallel with athletics so well, because you're again, you're training, you're putting in the work in a different kind of way. And then you got to perform when the uh, red light goes on.
2: Yeah. And and Paul, like you said, too, it's crazy when I do like sidelines for TSN on CFL, I'll prepare like eight or nine stories, maybe not that many, but like I'll have so many little stories that they can throw down to me for at any moment. And maybe, maybe two get in. And then the other seven or whatever are wasted. And it's not wasted, but it's like, but then you have to understand, too, that there's like graphics people who have prepared so many graphics and only a couple make it in the show. Everybody over prepares yep. and it can feel really crappy on your ego to not get involved in the show that much. But then you have to realize the whole team is dealing with that. But that's what makes the success is that we get the best in the show. Yeah,
0: yeah that's Super cool. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It, it creates the, the standard and the highest quality by by picking the best out of what you've the best of the best. Yeah, yeah. Um, we're going to we're going to wrap up here. Uh, I want to ask you a few just quick questions so people get to know you just a little bit better. Um, what would you, if you had a tip to young women who are either in sport or looking to transition to a career like yours, what would you have as little tips of, um, how to get the best or get the most out of what, uh, what they want to do? Get a do? mentor
2: and ask them all the questions possible.
1: Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. And do you have, are you still, uh, are you still working out? Do you still train? Yeah, I do orange theory. Love it awesome so you love the intensity of it the competition yeah. seeing Excellent. your okay.
2: heart rate up on there wanting to crush everybody else 100 <laughs> percent. that's
1: perfect L- little do they know that physiology from one individual to another individual doesn't necessarily mean that yeah. one yeah. is working hard i knew you'd have something to say to spoil it. I, yeah, yeah 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 what yeah. the heck sorry but for all you for all you orange theory fans out there just because your heart rate that is the highest doesn't mean you're doing the best <laughs> um <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> sorry, guys. Uh, what about uh, favorite movie or favorite book? Do you have something that's, or or even Netflix? Ooh. Do you have a favorite, thing or, or that's maybe a movie drawing you your attention?
2: On. Oh, oh yeah. Well, that no. I, I, I think my favorite movie, you guys, is Goodwill Hunting. I love it. I think there's so many good like notes in there.
0: <gasps> it's not this your is fault. The
1: second one, somebody's.
2: It's not your oh fault. Oh my really? gosh. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's a goodwill hunting. Um favorite book, um, East of Eden, John Steinbeck.
0: Oh, all
1: right. Oh, neat. Cool, cool. I like to write these down because I'm getting so many great book uh book suggestions. And uh, and do you have um some favorite music that you like to kind of get in the right mindset for uh, doing a doing commentary or doing <laughs> or reporting or even for a game or Orange Theory. Yeah. I
2: honestly just rely on what the stadium plays, and like they have the same thing on like repeat every game, so it's so funny. Now when I hear those <laughs> songs in like other things, I'm like, oh my god, okay, I gotta get ready for these stories. Da da da. But um, I yeah. Oh, who am I into these days? Uh, I actually. Okay, so I'm going to Bali in May. So I've been like getting into some like Bali playlists. So like just really chill stuff with just like a little hypnotic beat.
0: All
2: right. Cool. And what's in Bali in May is that a vacation? Uh, yeah, I'm going with my partner. It's the one time right when he's done curling and right when I'm just before CFL starts that we have like this one pocket one of time window, we yeah. can get away.
1: Yeah, one window. Oh, it's May. Awesome. Yeah. Now last, just finishing up here, what do you, what do you, do you see yourself continuing in reporting for quite some time? Do you have a goal that's, that you're aspiring to? What, what do you see the future for yourself in, say the next five years? Um, whew, next five years. I really like where I'm at right now, but I'd love
2: to report in a larger capacity. So right now the only national reporting I do is on the CFL and specifically the riders. So I'd love to branch out a little bit more. Um, I'd love to even, you know, I love the Olympics and um, doing some more reporting from the Olympics in some kind of a capacity would be amazing. I got to go to London 2012 and Sochi 2014 and do some, some stuff there, but um, just doing it in a bit bigger capacity would be amazing. And then, I mean, like, this is a really crazy dream, but one day I want
1: to be a Canadian Senator. Mm. Neat, very cool. That's not a crazy dream. That's a, that's a realistic aspiration. Yeah. There you go. That's fantastic. Well, I can't thank you enough for your insight into the world of reporting and at the same time, your journey in your sports career as well, because so many female athletes need to hear this. So many male athletes need to kind of understand the differences and and be able to relate to what women go through as well. So we really appreciate your insight on this and being with us today. Well,
2: thanks for having me. It was really awesome just bantering back and forth and hearing what you guys have to offer too.
1: Thank you so much for listening. To get more support in living your best life, find us in our free Facebook community, Empowered Top Performers. We're on Instagram at Paul Durden and at Empower Conditioning. Please share this podcast and rate us. A five-star review would mean the world to us. That is how we connect with and support more people to excel in sport and life. Take what you learned today and try it. Progress is perfection.